to create a meaningful and lasting positive impact for our community members exposed to substance abuse. I believe the healthcare industry must implement behavioral, medical, and social care treatments for them. During this episode, I spent time with a national leader who is creating trauma-informed care teams while in her personal life is the author of two books that focus on the loss of loved ones and transition. Rebecca Whitehead-Munn is the Chief Operating Officer of 180 Health Partners, a fellowship of care providers, community builders, and healthcare pioneers passionate about impacting the trajectory of lives with exposure to substance abuse and devoted to finding new ways to do so. Rebecca shares her journey as an author and how her professional career has perfectly positioned her to help 180 Health Partners continue to expand their critically important work across the nation. Additionally, Rebecca shares how she and her team help save health plans money while also delivering better outcomes for the patients they serve. Join us for this inspiring conversation of hope, resilience, and dedication to a brighter future as Rebecca and 180 Health Partners continue to serve as treatment allies for our providers and community members across the nation. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the podcast and for being with us today. It's great to be here, Mike. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful to spend some time with you today after receiving such a heartfelt and moving nomination from your colleague, Mary Frances McCuller. I'm looking forward to discussing your award-winning work as an author, your passion to create emergent community-based delivery models, and all the wonderful work happening at 180 Health Partners and the StrongWell program. But before we dive into your important work and mission, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment and visit passionatepioneers.com in order to share your feedback and ideas. Simply scroll to the comments section at the bottom of each posted episode. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Rebecca, it's almost time to learn how you and your colleagues are delivering the most comprehensive, integrated, and successful care and community programs in the world. But first, I'm going to randomly select an icebreaker question so we can get to know you. Let's see what comes up here. Ooh, favorite food. And it's a good time of year to talk food. What's your favorite meal and why? My favorite food is Mexican food. So I grew up in Houston, Texas. And growing up, we used to travel down to the border of Mexico. My dad liked to go buy Kahlua and cigars. So we would go to the market and I just grew up loving the Mexican food. And that's why. I am a big fan of Mexican food. I tell you, you know, obviously we're not traveling much right now, locked down in the pandemic. Hopefully we're all doing our part to socially distant and battle this pandemic together. But besides working in the healthcare industry, Rebecca, I love to travel, go down to Mexico. There's nothing like some fish tacos, shrimp tacos right on the beach with a nice cold beer. And man, do I miss that right about now. (laughs) Yes, for sure. I agree. Well, one day, hopefully I can sync up with your father as well. Those are some good treats to get down in Mexico. Always fun to visit down there. So thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. And I'm looking forward to diving in, as I mentioned, in all the inspiring work and journey and mission that you're on. 
And we're going to dive in after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. As the scope and complexity of revenue cycle management grows, especially during these unprecedented times, Ensemble is leading the industry in revenue cycle management performance, ensuring their partners rank among the top performing health systems in the country. On average, Ensemble is improving their clients' cash collections by 4 to 6%, lowering unbilled days to less than 3 and their clients' first-pass denial rate is now 4.5%, better than Healthcare Financial Management Association's industry best practice. Ensemble's work in lifting revenue cycle performance helps providers buy new, durable medical equipment, hire more physicians, and expand their facilities. Ensemble is proud to be helping the flagships of American healthcare to better support the communities they serve. And speaking of community, we are incredibly grateful for Ensemble support and community champion sponsorship of Passionate Pioneers. To learn more about Ensemble and the passionate mission they are on, head over to EnsembleHP.com or visit the episode notes and click on their link. All right, Rebecca, we're back and we have so much to discuss and dive into today. As I mentioned, received such a passionate and inspiring nomination from your colleague, and I'm looking forward to our community to get to know you more and all the work happening in your camp down in Nashville, Tennessee. One of my favorite communities, a lot of mutual friends between us, and uh, always love taking a visit to Nashville. You guys are doing so much incredibly important work for our industry. But before we get to what's happening in your world with 180 Health Partners and the Strongwell Program, Rebecca, you have a storied history, author, doing incredible work throughout your career. Take us back a bit, and then we'll set the stage for 180 Health Partners in the Strongwell program. Okay, great. Happy to, Mike. I grew up the youngest of five girls, and we were all born within eight years of life. So the world was kind of chaotic and changing often. And so I think that kind of hones my muscle of really liking change and driving change, which is something I've carried through me with my career which has actually been very serendipitous. I'm amused by people I mentor when they come to me with their 10, 15, 20 year plan. And I set out to go to college and was in accounting. And after I took my first accounting class, I realized that was not the best major for me and switched to marketing. And then I actually spent five years in hospitality And through a chain of events where my father got sick and I moved back to Texas to be with him is how I landed in healthcare. And at the time, telemedicine was something that was not very common at all. And there was a research organization, a nonprofit, wanting to prove the cost feasibility of telemedicine. So that is how I got my start in healthcare. And we served a rural community 65 miles east of Austin, Texas. It was called the Texas Telemedicine Project. And we serve really all health portals of entry in this small community. So we had a connection to the 25-bed community hospital, the community mental health clinic, the Texas Youth Commission, and then the dialysis center. So that really got me interested in driving change and trying to figure out what drives people to kind of their behavior. In college, I actually got a minor in psychology because I was fascinated by people. So this was fun for me to then start to apply that. And I will say that my healthcare career has been pretty serendipitous. I left the 
research project and went to work for the technology vendor and built a healthcare-specific system for telemedicine. And then one of the leaders there went to Cisco and kind of reached in and grabbed me. And I actually spent 10 years at Cisco. And when I tell people I worked at Cisco, they think that I'm a technologist. And actually, they brought me in to help them learn about healthcare and wanting to serve the healthcare industry more deeply. And so Cisco is actually what brought me to Nashville, Tennessee, where I started a healthcare services business and was one of the leaders of the Connected Health Vertical for Cisco globally. And that path was a fabulous path until I realized that I became a mother for a reason and it was taking me outside of Nashville, the job was about five to six days a week. So I just made a tough choice to become a mother more often and be around more often. And so that led me to Healthways, which is where I worked with Justin Planning, who is the founder and CEO of 180 Health Partners. So the circuitous path then took me to do consulting and driving change with large healthcare organizations like HCA and United Health Group. And in 2017, my first book came out. It was a memoir. And that really opened up my heart in a way that, you know, I hadn't experienced before. And I really took kind of stock of, you know, my career path, which had been very serendipitous, as I mentioned, and decided, you know, I spent my life kind of growing wealth for others and myself. And I really wanted to add something of significance to the work that I do. And that led me to United Health Group in Tennessee. We were incubating integrated primary care, behavioral health, and social determinants of health practice and working inside United Healthcare. So we worked inside United Healthcare because it was a value-based structure. And we were driving innovation on the payment models and could integrated care be delivered in the home to the DSNP and Medicare population. And so we proved that successful and stayed connected with Justin and what 180 Health Partners was doing. And it just the turn of events made it possible for me to join the organization this year in January. Oh, how exciting. And I'm looking forward to diving in. It is very important work what's happening within 180 Health Partners and your Strongwell program. But before we go there, I'm going to ask some questions for my own personal benefit, but I'm sure there's others in our community that are thinking along the same lines, and that's how to become an author. You know, I have some ideas around some books. I have some burning desire to do it. I just don't know where to start. I guess maybe it's a little bit like this podcast, just to start before you're ready kind of thing. You are an award-winning author. You've written a couple books now. Can you give us a little bit of that journey on how you became an author? What was that like? What did you experience? And what were some of the topics that you did uh, write about with your work? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've always held a dream of being an author. And actually, my first book I published was a telemedicine handbook when I was working with the Texas Telemedicine Project many years ago. It was work-focused. And in about 15 years ago, I was facing a challenging time in my life. So going through a divorce with a two and four-year-old and my mother being diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so I found that journaling really helped me process all that was changing because every single thing changed in my life that 
time in my life was when I moved to Nashville. So I moved states, I changed homes, I changed jobs, was no longer married. And then I was facing, you know, the death of my mother. So she died over, well, she was sick over a three-year period. And that gave me an opportunity to really partner with her on digging into, you know, the meaning of life and what mattered most to her and trying to help her heal, I think, along that path before she said goodbye. And so after she died, I was talking to friends about, wow, all that I learned and grew through that process. Because death is not something we talk about, right, in our society. It's one of those taboo topics. And I like to drive change, as I said. And so I like to be a little provocative and just put topics out for people to kind of process and face. And so my friends actually nudged me. You should write a book about that because that story would be really helpful to others. And so my first five years, honestly, I would start writing and I'd reach kind of a grief wall, if you will, and stop. And I think that I'm a recovering perfectionist also. So I think that my little perfectionist tendency is probably tried to step in there. And then my friend Karen, who was an author before me, she said, hey, you should just create a blog. And of course, I didn't know anything about creating a blog or writing a blog. But I'm always very curious. So I just went to my computer and pulled up wordpress.com and created a blog. And it was the name of it is the Purple Butterfly Blog. And then I just decided, okay, I'm going to write a post. I'm just going to start with a post. And I sat down and I wrote it and I put it out there. And then people found it. So through this lovely thing called SEO, I had tagged some words in it and I got comments and people were saying, wow, that's really helpful. I wish you would, you know, write some more. So then I decided, okay, every other weekend when my children are with their dad, I can focus and write. And so I would do that. And some weekends I could write a post and go enjoy the rest of the weekend. And some weekends I would write a post and spend the rest of the weekend processing my grief. And so I found that it was very cathartic process. Then I engaged the help of a editor, being that it was my first book. I wanted some developmental editing help. So she helped me with developing characters and developing scenes and then adding dialogue. So when my manuscript was finished, I was trying to decide, do I self-publish or do I publish through a publisher? And I'm a physical book person. I like to go to bookstores and I like to hold books in my hand. So the difference in those two is if you want to have your books in bookstores, nine times out of 10, you need to publish through a publisher. The editor I was working with was connected to a publisher and she said, well, why don't you publish with us? And I said, well, how does that work? And she said, well, let me help you. And two weeks later, I had a contract. So I will tell you that that process was very divinely orchestrated for me. It's not something I did because it typically takes four to six years to get a publishing contract when you're an author. But that just got my feet wet and the feedback I heard was just countless. And I was very honored that it did win a couple of awards and has just really made a difference in people's life. And so following that, when I was in my phase of trying to figure out how I shift my career into mission-based work, 
my second book idea actually just popped into my head. So several of the listeners probably know a friend of mine, Melissa Wadi, who was a top executive at LifePoint. She was one of the presidents and she was diagnosed with colon cancer and sitting quietly praying for her and just, you know, thinking what could I do and processing the news and this idea just popped in my head. Oh, you should write a book about these cancer stories because cancer is a topic that is another taboo topic that we're somewhat afraid of, mainly because we don't understand it and we don't know what's involved and we're, we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing or don't know what to do. And so that's how my second book, The Genesis of It, was formed. And so I quickly found 20 people to capture their stories. And that processed very fast. So that probably took a year and a half. And it actually just came out September 1st of this year. It has the name of All of Us Warriors, Cancer Stories of Survival and Loss. And I'm honored to say it actually won the International Book Award for Health for Cancer and has won two other awards as well. So that's my author journey. It's my fun, creative kind of outlet on the side. Well, I love it. And, you know, it's so important to have those outlets. And thank you for taking me and our community through that journey, Rebecca. So important. As you probably know, I'm now working at Olive and heading up emerging technology for Olive. But our CEO, Sean Lane, he's very passionate about every Olivian at the organization doing something creative. We even have, you know, everybody now, because we're uh, all socially distant and working remotely, everybody pretty much is now on Slack. And I'm sure you guys are working there as well. But in there, there's an entire Create Daily channel for everybody that's in the company to show what they're working on, what they're building, everything from furniture to gardening to a podcast like this. I couldn't agree more into our community finding those outlets to create and allow your creativity to come out via those forms, I think is really important. And I think for at least for me, I don't know about you, Rebecca, but it has brought a big welcome relief in regards to my mental well-being especially during this pandemic. I can't tell you how cathartic and therapeutic it is to do these podcasts with inspiring guests just like yourself. So thank you for sharing that and affirming for me, you know, this notion of creating and building things and allowing those creative outlets to flourish. So thank you. And we'll leave some links in the episode notes to Rebecca's books so our community can go and grab those as well. Well, let's start heading into 180 Health Partners and the Strongwell Program, Rebecca. You know, words matter. And I really, really like the tagline on your website and your LinkedIn page. And it says, quote, changing the trajectory of substance exposed lives. That's a powerful comment. That's a powerful tagline. Can you share with us a bit what's going on at 180 Health Partners and maybe a bit of how the organization is impacting and hopefully helping during these times of COVID-19, but maybe dive in now in regards to all the wonderful work that you're helping lead at 180 Health Partners in the Strongwell Program. Absolutely, Mike. So we are a community-based team of clinicians and resource advocates that are really sitting side-by-side with individuals who are living lives with substances, whether that is uh, pregnant moms or adults, or we also work with adolescents. And we have a unique and proven behavioral plus social health model. And this was created by Justin Laney, as I mentioned. He's our founder and Bill Frist and Landon 
from Altitude Ventures and a few others. Just really to start, we were focused in 2017 on could we make a difference in the pregnant moms using opioids and decrease the incidence of neonatal abstinence syndrome? So I don't know if you know very much about that, but I think the significance of babies being born, being exposed to opioids was a significant problem and we just set out to change it. So we said, what could we do differently that the system is not doing to help them? And the idea was, well, let's create a community-based team. So our teams work out in the community. They work from their homes. And the team is made up of a clinically licensed social worker and a certified peer recovery specialist. So that is someone who has lived experience with substances and has been in recovery for at least two years, who's also gone through extensive training. And then the third member of the team is a registered nurse. And then the fourth member is a resource advocate. So the idea was if we have this team surrounding these moms and helping them see that they can make different choices and put themselves first and focus on their health. And really, when it comes down to substances, I think 80% of the need for substances comes from the environmental and connection part of the equation. So maybe there's trauma in someone's history, or maybe they're currently in an environment that's traumatic, or something that is not supportive of them in their environment. And then the second piece is a lack of connection to something outside of themselves, something to give them purpose and meaning. So our team just set out to make a difference in that space. And we went and partnered with the health plans here in Tennessee is where we started and the three managed care organizations here and said, you know, we want to really make a difference with you as a partner and let's build a value-based structure of this relationship. So we are a provider and so our health plan partners pay us a per engaged member per month fee to work with them. And on average, we touch these lives six to eight times in the month. We engage in a multimodal way. So prior to COVID, we would go into the home. We do see them at their provider's office. So we co-locate with the providers and that makes it easy for our clients to come in and have their visit with the provider and then maybe do therapy or meet with our peer there in the office. As of COVID, so before COVID, we were using telehealth and COVID really just accelerated kind of the use of telehealth. So I would say during the months of April through, and really today, we probably were 95% telehealth. So when you look at the year, it's about 85% telehealth in terms of type of way that we engage with our clients. So we set out on this path and we think we can make a difference. And we had several quality measures that we were focused on, right? So from the standpoint of neonatal abstinence syndrome, we were tracking how many babies born in our program were NAS negative. So that is a statistic that for pregnant moms using opioids with no intervention, on average, 40% of babies are born NAS negative. 
And in our program now, over three years, on average, 75% of the babies are born NAS negative. So that translates to many positive outcomes when it's negative because they don't, you know, there's less cost in the hospital to treat them. There's less impact on them and for the babies and the child's life. They get out of the hospital faster. So that translates to, you know, less cost. And on average, our babies born in our program that are NAS negative cost $20,000 less per baby to the health plan. So our health plan partners are happy about that. Obviously, the state is happy about that. And then there's some other really important outcome measures. So we work with the moms to identify long-term contraceptive options, and we work with them on their home environment and making it safe to bring the baby home. So a lot of times DCS will get involved. And when we are involved with the moms, they know our program and they are really supportive of it. And so babies going home with the mom. So that is another statistic that on average, I think seven to 12% of babies go home with mom. And in our program, 80% of babies go home with moms or the family. We're making a difference kind of in a tangential area, which is the whole foster care area and the cost of that. And that's an area, you know, we haven't expanded on yet. But we've really proved out the model with pregnancy in general is our priority because we're making a difference in two lives, right, Mike? And so we expanded last year as a result of our health plan partners asking us today work with pregnant moms with all substances. So that includes nicotine and alcohol. And we also work with the rest of the family, right? So all adults. And then if there are adolescents involved, we will work with them as well. That is very encouraging and inspiring. Wow. So many thoughts, so many questions. You shared some incredibly powerful data in regards to the impact you're having with these mothers. And you may not have data around the question I'm about to ask, but even if it's just anecdotal, you know, to preface it, as many of our community members know, I'm incredibly passionate to continue to shine a bright light on our mental health and well-being and to celebrate it and to take it out of the dark corners of our lives. And so with that, Rebecca, and again, even if it's anecdotal, what has you and your team experienced with these mothers and how this program has helped impacted them with their mental health and well-being? I mean, there's a beautiful quote on your website from Robbie a strong, well mom. And she said, I just felt in my heart that these people genuinely cared. I knew I wasn't alone and there were women who supported me and would be honest with me. They were going to let me know the truth without judging me whatsoever. That's a powerful comment from a mother that you're helping. But in regards, and again, if you want to say anecdotal, Rebecca, what has been the impact on these mothers for their mental health and well-being? You know, it's a great question. And I, I need to preface the answer with kind of one of the unique things about our model is we have what we call true north that we operate within. And I think that kind of creates a path. So one of them, for example, is compassion. So we meet individuals where they are. We prioritize relationships over process and science. We build individuals up, providing dignity and validation. We do not tear them down and we provide a stigma-free environment. So we have a trauma-informed care training program and language that we use, and that is a 
fundamental basis for us to be able to engage with these moms like Robbie and help them feel like we're right there with them. Substance is something that comes with a lot of stigma. There's a whole lot of judgment involved and we just engage in a judgment-free way. One of the stories that I just heard yesterday from one of our West Tennessee team of a mom who was not in a safe environment during her pregnancy, she was continuing to use. And I will say that our team work with our clients regardless of whether they're using, whether they are on maintenance drugs or are abstinent and have gotten off all drugs. So we were working with her and her baby was born nine weeks early. And they were really trying to convince her to of the benefit of going into treatment and doing that for herself and getting out of her unsafe environment at home. And, you know, she didn't respond in the beginning and then DCS got involved and she saw, you know, the reality of her baby may not come home with her. And so she came back to us and said, well, you know, I'll do this for my baby. And we said, you really have to do this for you. I mean, at the end of the day, we each need to put ourselves first because if we don't put ourselves first and take care of ourselves, we can't help others. Right. And so we just told her, you know, the choice to make here is to go into treatment for yourself. And we can't tell you that that means that your baby's going to come home with you or not. But we can say that it will pave the path of a positive outcome in your life down the road. So she made the choice to go into treatment. And then recently we just heard that the baby was able to go be with her when he was released from the NICU. And her story was, you've powerfully changed my life. Oh, how cool. How cool. Thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. You know, it's always important to really bring, you know, those stories to life in regards to the work that we're all involved in and the direct impact it's having on others. So thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little future state. Where is everything heading? You guys are, you know, really focused in in the Tennessee market. Awesome, you know, work happening there. Are you guys expanding beyond Tennessee? Where do you see things happening with 180 Health Partners, a Strongwell program, even beyond 2021 and maybe in the next several years? Where do you see things heading? I didn't mention that we did expand into Kentucky and Florida late 2018, early 2019. So we do operate in those states. And then a year ago, we expanded into Texas. So we're currently expanding into Texas, other regions. So we're in the San Antonio market. And we're moving into Austin and Dallas at the beginning of next year and the Hidalgo region kind of mid next year. In Florida, we actually serve nine of the 11 Medicaid regions today in Florida and with it plans to expand to all 11 in 2021. In Tennessee, we currently serve 93 of the 95 counties, soon to be all 95. So that means that we actually have clients in every county soon to be across Tennessee. And then in Kentucky, we serve five of the eight Medicaid regions and we are actively in contract with some of the new winners of the Medicaid contract in Kentucky to launch in 2021. So where we see, you know, this year, 2020 has really been a year of kind of scaling and creating structure and really honing the solutions that we bring to the market in terms of the details and outcomes and 
we are expanding into other states. In 2021, our plan is to expand into Virginia towards the end of the year. That, that has been a request actually by several providers and uh, some of our health plan partners. So that's exciting. And then we are looking at expansion in 2022 and beyond to states like Louisiana, New Hampshire, and Georgia. And, you know, in our crazy world today, who knows where else we will expand to. I think what's really important to know is that what we are doing really hasn't been done before. So from the standpoint of the whole package, so being in the community and meeting people where they are and having the multidisciplinary team that we have and then partnering with the OBGYNs or maternal fetal medicine providers, as well as the MAP clinic providers and the health plan partners, just trying to make a difference in these people's lives. And, you know, the sky's the limit here. So when one of the recent things we were talking about is some of our quality measures, how we need to kind of change the way we think about it. So we have all this data, as you said, and we were looking at some annual data from last year. And when we track one of our measures is the client going to their MAC clinic visit every month, right? And are they taking their prescription? So if you don't know what a MAC clinic is, it's medication-assisted treatment. And this is basically maintenance drugs to get clients off of illicit drugs and onto some type of maintenance drug. And whether that maintenance drug is then for a long period of time, or sometimes it is a temporary kind of step down to abstinence. So what we learned is we set this metric of let's track how many go to these met visits every month and how many get their prescriptions. And then we looked at the data and said, wow, so 15% of our clients actually made the choice to get off of drugs completely and have been abstinent. And that's a significant amount. And we said, we've got to change the way we think about this measure and kind of break it down into to multiple categories. So that's where we're headed, is kind of evolving that piece, evolving the value model, kind of exploring probably the tangential side of the foster care space and how is that making a difference, right? Being that 80% of the babies are going home with the family. So those are some future things we're focused on. Well, if Colorado hits the roadmap for future expansion, you let me know, Rebecca. You know I'm based here in downtown Denver, and we would have no problems welcoming this incredibly important and inspiring work into the Centennial State. So keep me posted. Let me know. We'll definitely roll out the red carpet for you and your team here in Colorado. So thank you for sharing where things are heading. It sounds like a very exciting future and one that we look forward to continuing to stay up to date on. Well, let's flip the script a little bit here, Rebecca. We want to be able to help you out. What is one problem, need, or question that you and your team currently have that our community can be contemplating or helping you with? Thank you for asking, Mike. So mine is going to be kind of fundamental and very individual, and that would be my challenge to each of the listeners is to think about what is your view on substance and is there judgment there and do you actually know enough about that topic to think about it differently and maybe move to a stigma-free kind of perspective. So there are many books 
that are very helpful in this. I think Chasing the Scream is one that does a nice job of bringing together all the research in the substance space, all the policy, and, and pro- it's basically the last hundred years of prohibition. And then it talks about several models, such as in Uruguay and Portugal, where they've either decriminalized substances or they've legalized them and they have no substance problem. So they spend the resources on helping individuals from a behavioral health and social standpoint. So that would be my ask of everyone. Well, I love it because the uh, same thing with me, you know, continuing to challenge our community, how we really think about mental health and well-being. This is another great topic, right? How do we think differently about this and really challenge ourselves to get out of our own preconceived notions and understanding of what the world might look like if we just think through it a little differently. So thank you for that challenge. And uh, we will certainly contemplate that as well, Rebecca. Well, let's uh, talk about where can we find you? Where can we hit you up online, social media handles, websites, or otherwise, where can we find you? So we have a website called 180healthpartners.com. And we are on LinkedIn as 180healthpartners.com. And that's primarily focused on our investor partners and our health plan partners from an audience standpoint. And then we have IamStrongwell.com is our website for our providers and clients. We are also on Instagram and Facebook under IamStrongwell.com. Excellent. Easy enough. And we'll leave those touch points in the episode notes. So if you're listening from your favorite podcast player, simply scroll down in the episode notes and be able to click on through to those contact points that Rebecca just shared. We'll also leave those over at passionatepioneers.com, our free global online community, where you can also leave some comments and feedback and ideas for all of us to contemplate. Again, passionatepioneers.com. All right, Rebecca, we're going to start winding it down here. We have a fill in the blank for you, one of my favorite parts of the interview, and it's a fill in the blank that is, I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because I am here to make a difference in others' lives, especially vulnerable populations. And I have a passion for creativity. I'm very curious and I'm courageous. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Rebecca, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I've had the fortunate opportunity to spend time with you in your community in Nashville, where I miss so many of my dear friends over in Tennessee as we cannot travel right now. Please give so many of our mutual friends a big hug for me. But for now, thank you for joining us and sharing everything happening in your camp. Do keep us posted as things continue to progress with that fantastic roadmap you shared earlier. But for now, Rebecca, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's great to talk to you again. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.